This is Transforming Learning. Hey, it's Zach, and I need to interrupt a moment because we are doing an incredibly exciting thing that requires your participation. Once a month, we will be featuring a teacher challenge on an episode and attempting to tackle the challenge between the four of us on the show. We want to hear from you about the challenges you might be facing in your classroom this year. Every teacher featured will receive a gift card, and at the end of the school year, we will draw a name randomly from all those who shared to award a $100 gift card. To share a challenge and earn a chance to win, simply call our number and leave a message. That number is 616-965-6606. Again, 616-965-6606. Welcome back to Transforming Learning. This is Zach and Pete, and we're here talking today about a very particularly compelling interview, Pete, that you had with Richard Byrne. And before I hand it off to you to explain more, I just wanted to make the comment, our listeners are very familiar with how we approach this podcast in terms of sharing an idea or strategy or example from a teacher in a classroom, those kinds of things. But also part of our goal is to just continue to expand the resources that teachers have available to them. And I feel that this particular conversation and this connection can do just that. So that, that being my thought, Pete, tell us a little bit more about Richard. Thank you, Zach. I had a opportunity to speak with Richard recently. And one of the reasons I thought of bringing Richard to the podcast is because I'm a subscriber to his blog at freetechforteachers.com, which is a great way to learn about new, not only new tech integration resources, but also new ways to use those kind of um, known tech integration resources. So he'll come out with the hidden side of Flipgrid and things like this, which are really neat to read about. So I highly recommend people subscribe to his blog and check out his resources. But he's also been at it for quite some time and has just a massive following. So his Facebook page has over 500,000 page likes Um, His blog is read by about that same number of educators worldwide. He speaks all over the place. He's been on several continents. And just so happens he's also coming to McCall. And many of our listeners are from the Michigan area and will be visiting McCall. And so you can also check him out in person at McCall. Yes, with the time of our publishing of this episode, it's uh, intentional to be a couple of weeks here before the McCall conference kicks off again for this year. So definitely, as you're listening to this in a timely manner, it can preclude some of what you'll get later. Richard's blog has also been award-winning, so he's... Uh, won the award for best resource sharing blog a number of times. He's won for best ed tech support blog and best individual blog. So his resources have been vetted by folks that know what they're looking for and been shown to be quite good. Well, let's kick it back over now and hear from Pete and Richard. I am here with Richard Byrne. Richard, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, my pleasure. 
So Richard, our audience will know you from your online resources, websites, newsletters, blogs. Could you start, before we get into that content, by kind of giving us your background? How did you come to do what you're doing today and think about the things that you think about today? It was about 12 or 13 years ago. Uh, I went to a I went to a workshop. I was a I was a high school social studies teacher. Uh, my school was a, was part of a, a grant consortium, and I went to a workshop that was about technology. Uh, I had, we had a choice of three different things. One was technology. One was a sort of discipline, and something was like curriculum design. So I picked technology, kind of just thinking, well, I can at least check my email on there, you know, like <laughs> didn't really know what to expect there. Uh, went there and kind of got hooked. So I had my freshman social studies students, it was a course called Contemporary World, which is just kind of a glorified current events course, basically, with a little geography thrown in. Started a blog with, with them and then uh, started a blog for other teachers, mostly for people that had also been at that workshop because we had to create something to share with other people in the workshop uh, and then share with our, our colleagues in our schools. And so I called it freetechforteachers.com, set it up on Blogger. Uh, it's freetechforteachers. Actually, it's freetechforteachers.blogspot.com and started writing. And that's kind of how it started. Uh, no, not kind of. That is how it started. There, there's no kind of about it. That's how it started. And I did that for, you know, a few months. And in full disclosure, I never thought it would become what it is now. I never thought 12 years from now, this will be my full-time job. I really thought, this is kind of fun. I enjoy it. I like doing it. I got on Twitter at the same time. It was around 2007, got on Twitter, uh, started getting involved in in, uh, Classroom 2.0, if anyone remembers Mm -hmm. that network, which actually still exists. I don't don't know how people are still in it, but uh, I started started getting involved in that community and really enjoyed it, really enjoyed connections with people, helping people out when I could. And and so that's kind of how I got hooked on it. And then I realized uh, that you could actually make a little money from it. Uh, Now, it was like two years before I made enough money to get a check cut from Google. Hmm. You have to get a hundred. Hmm. So with Google AdSense, you have to get at least a hundred dollars in revenue before they will send you a payment, or at least they did at the time. And it's so it was two years <laughs> before I made hit that threshold to get a check for a hundred dollars. So that's how it that's how it came to be. And as it says in my Twitter profile, I started blogging and just haven't stopped. Hmm. Um, hmm. Now my, my thinking around it has shifted over time. Now, initially, uh, when I started, there was a, a big open source movement. There was a lot of netbooks, a lot of talk about netbooks and open source open source software that you could use on netbooks. Uh, this is before the iPad. Uh, you know, MySpace was still big at that time. You know, to put it in perspective, right? Second Life was was really a big thing at the time. So. Uh, you know, th- that was the early, early stages of it. And it just kind of wikis was a, was a big thing at the time, too. And just started writing about it. And then, you know, as trends change, so did I, you know, always with the focus on what can what can I use? It's web based, that's free, that's uh, or free or a really low cost that's going to engage my students. So I, I kind of have two philosophies. One will engage students in a meaningful way, not just like, oh, wow, that's neat for 30 seconds, but you know, engage them in a meaningful way. 
and also uh, give them an opportunity to do something they couldn't do without the technology. Mm. You know, like giving students that voice to share a podcast with the world or giving students that opportunity to, to share their writing or to share a video with more people. Whether you know more, I'll say more people. We 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 like to say, oh, a global audience. Well, the reality is, if you get like thirty people who are outside of your school to read it or view it, you're doing pretty darn well. So you know, but even just doing that is something that I always always look for. You know, I remember the first time I saw Google spreadsheets. Kern Kelly, yeah, if anyone's listening, Kern Kelly is from Maine. He lives about two hours north of me. Uh, at the time, he was a technology integrator. I'm not even sure what his job is anymore. Current, if you're current, if you're listening, please chime in with what your actual <laughs> job is now. Uh, but Kern showed me this really cool function in Google Spreadsheets. Now, this is way back before in the infancy of Google Forms, and Google Spreadsheets, and he had developed a formula for self-creating quizzes. Hmm. And I was like, "Holy cow! This is going to save me so much time." I had like 120, 125 kids on my course roster every year, every semester. And I was like, wow, this is going to save me so much time. And, and so I, I figured out how, you know, Kern helped me and kind of figured out how to, how to do it. And I wrote a blog post about it. And that was the moment for me where I was like, wow, people are really actually paying attention to what I write hmm. because I started to get some really nasty emails. Oh, <laughs> like that was the first time where I was like, you know, people are paying attention when people start to send you mean emails or mean comments. That's when you uh, realize you've made it, huh? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've made it, but like, okay, there are people who are paying attention to you and now are upset about something you wrote. There are people who are upset because they're like, you shouldn't be promoting multiple choice quizzes. You know, you shouldn't promote promote multiple choice testing. Like, well, for me, uh, at the time in my school, like we all had to give the same right. uh, the same test. So, like, I didn't have a whole lot of control over that. Like, I have to give this test, and if I can put it into a digital format that's going to save me five hours of grading over the weekend. Why not do that? Yeah, um, yeah. you know, so that that's kind of my thing. Like, I, I'm not a reformer. Like, I will tell people all the time: if you want someone to come to your conference and like rabble rouse about education policy and school reform, hire Ken Robinson or Will Richardson. You know, if you want to, you know, that's who you're looking for. If you want a practical solution to a problem, give me a call. I'm here. Yeah. That's what I do. So having technology provides students opportunities that they couldn't do without technology, making things more efficient from a time perspective for you. What are some of the other goals and outcomes and objectives that you're really kind of looking for in all of what you do? The, probably, the, the, probably the best way to do this, I have a, a notebook here that I actually write out different goals for what I'm doing with the blog all the time. Uh, it helps me, number one, write, write blog posts and number and number two, like kind of not only write them, but keep them kind of in the same theme or same genre for a while, because I, I like to try to give people enough information that they can go to their classroom. You know, they, they read the blog post or increasingly they watch one of the videos that I make and they can then go to their classroom the next day or the next or the next week and feel confident that, yeah, I can do this. 
So for a lot, a lot of what I'm trying to do is really empower teachers or, or build that confidence that, yes, I can do this. Because I've been in enough classrooms where the teacher has the skill. They just don't have the confidence yet that, like, what to do if things go off the rails or, you know, they're, they're really leery about, oh, can, can the students do this that I don't know about? So I try to put their minds at ease about that and really just get, build that confidence and, and, and help that, that piece for teachers moving forward so they really can use these tools that are available that will make kids um, able to do things they, they couldn't do before. So yeah, that, that, I, I would say that's probably, probably my number one objective right now. That's probably my overall number one objective uh, with, with my blog and what I'm trying to do. Richard, it, it, it strikes me that if there's a listener out there who hasn't subscribed to one of your newsletters or gone to your, your blog or your website, can you give a maybe sharpen that up with an example of what would you expect in one of those blog posts? What, what would a teacher get from you in one of those blog posts? So the, the, the two big ones that, that I'm going to uh, that I've recently wrapped up, uh, I did a, a complete guide to Flipgrid All right now. You go to any ed tech conference, open any journal, any website right now, you're going to hear someone talking about Flipgrid. Right? Yes. And the dar- it's the darling of the ed tech world right now. Uh, but because it's grown so fast and it, it's adding features all the time, I've gone to conferences and, or gone to schools and done a work and done uh, little demos of it. And people are like, I, I still don't know all the features of it like like oh i didn't know i could do that or i didn't know that kids could do that so i just did it i just did a complete tutorial on flipgrid it has 12 different videos 12 videos in it on everything from how to sign up to how to moderate comments to how your students can uh, can upload responses you know soup to nuts everything there uh so that's one thing you'll find uh, another thing that I recently did just before Christmas, I wrapped up uh, a complete, I'll call it a complete guide to using media in your classroom, uh, which goes through uh, a breakdown of the difference between public domain, creative commons, and fair use, topics that are often kind of murky for a lot of students and, and some teachers, uh, and then went into all the places that you can find media that's appropriate to use in your classroom. And I even included a little piece on uh, what to do with the Internet Archive, which has hundreds of thousands of pieces of media there in the public domain. But in there, there's also some kids things you don't want your fifth graders to see. Right. 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 Uh, so I, I included like how how would you create a gallery of media that you've vetted and then shared with your mm. your students. Hmm. So, uh, so those are, that, that's the sort of thing you'll find. And Richard, you've been at this for you know roughly twelve years. Um, I'm curious, yeah. how has the educational landscape changed, and what are some of the you know kind of current challenges? You mentioned teacher confidence being one, but what are some of the current challenges around that landscape? Well, I think the the, the change in the landscape that I've seen the the most in the last couple of years. So that people are becoming leery of things that are free. Uh, and we can thank Facebook for that. <laughs> 10 years ago, I would never get a question about what's happening with the data that, that are, that's collected by these websites. 
now I get it weekly from yeah. some someone will ask me oh about you know I'll, I'll write about any product and what's happening with the data uh, you know is it really free what's the catch you know that sort of thing uh, so that that's one of the biggest challenges I think it's a big challenge for any ed tech startup that's coming into the marketplace is addressing those concerns about privacy while also trying to make sure that they're offering the best product available and a sustainable product mm. at that, uh, which gets me into the other challenge that, that I think exists for a lot of people is how do we know that this service or tool is going to still be here next year? Mm. Right? That's uh, something that I'll, I'll hear from folks is, I don't know if I want to try this because I, I don't know if it's still going to be here, right? Or what if they change their business model or they pivot into something else, all, you know, altogether? Uh, that that's a that's the other kind of challenge of, that we see. And uh, Richard, you are definitely tapped into, um, I would say, a national audience here, and so you'd be more qualified to answer this next question than than any of us. Where do you see K-12 education going? So, I mean, I'm sure you can observe the trends. And um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're Mr. Practicality. But when you kind of look at the trends, where do you see it going? So, uh, I'll stick to the areas that, that I am qualified to speak on, which is fairly limited, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> here's what I think is going to happen in the next three to five years. And I, I can't project more than five years down the road. I don't think anyone can project more than five years down the road accurately. I'm really curious about AR and VR. This is a, this is a hot topic right now. Or depending on what you read, augmented reality and virtual reality are kind of the future of so many things. Or mixed reality, which is kind of the blending of those two. And uh, it, and those technologies aren't actually new, you know. Like the, the availability of them is new. Uh, it, it's so much more accessible than it ever was before. But the AR, AR and VR itself, uh, it's been out for twenty plus years. You remember there was a uh, the the sitcom Mad About You in the nineties mm -hmm. had an entire episode that was devoted to life in virtual reality. Uh, and it, you know, very early virtual reality headsets, and they're massive things that you had hooked up to all kinds of wires and you know, Ethernet cable and whatnot. Um, so, but the accessibility of it and, and it's flashy and it, and it gets people excited. My prediction on it is that the real utility of it, the the real capability of it, is going to be when students get involved in the the creation of the experience hmm. as opposed to just being the passive ob observer of the experience. Um, and, and so that, that means, you know, with augmented reality, not just holding up your iPad or holding up your, your phone and, you know, seeing this object or, you know, with merge cubes, you know, manipulating the object, but actually doing the programming that's going to make those things happen. Hmm. Uh, Kind of in the kind of in the same way that uh, we went from just watching or looking at websites, and that was the domain of people who had very specialized skills. To now, you can go to 
any number of websites and make your own website in two minutes. Right. Okay. right. Uh, so I, I think that there's a lot of potential there for that new kind of writing experience, a new kind of creation experience in AR and VR that, that moves beyond just the simple, you know, sucking in the, the content, if you will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and I did some research into this is a, a really fresh in my mind because someone just emailed me about, emailed me about this yesterday. Uh, and I did, did some research on this uh, in terms of is there any empirical evidence that AR and VR experiences do actually help students, right? And there is actually some out there. There, there is some data out there that does support that students engage in the experiences longer and because they engage in the experiences longer uh they, particularly in math and science uh they develop a better understanding of the concepts particularly when you start to involve uh three-dimensional hmm. uh, components of it so so that, that's the, that's the big tech trend that i that i will put my stick my neck out on and say that that's going to be uh, yeah be a big one. I, I think the other thing that's technology related to schools um, is going to deal with accessibility. Right? Uh, accessibility for all learners. The, you know, the increasingly we're seeing more requirements on uh, what a website has to have to be accessible to all learners, particularly in public institutions. Right? Uh, and, and so things like uh, Microsoft's Immersive Reader are going to be really important moving forward. And, and, you know, that's not necessarily a huge technology uh, changer, not, not a game changer necessarily in terms of, you know, uh, flashy technology, but it's, uh, but it is a trend that we're seeing is more and more requirements around accessibility. I get, I get emails pretty regularly from college professors who want to use one or more of my videos and they always ask for a transcript of the video hmm. to meet the accessibility requirements of their university. Right, right, right. Which, I, which actually creates a lot of work for me because sometimes I mumble. And so, <laughs> uh, so automated transcripts often don't come out the way they should. <laughs> I have to do a lot of, I have to do a lot of po uh, post-production uh, yeah. editing of the transcripts. <laughs> you know, just circling back to VR and AR real quick, Richard, I, you know, uh, you're making me think we know that experiences tend to be committed to long-term storage in our memory, right? So like, um, ask any adult what do they remember from their k-12 years and they're likely to talk about a guest speaker a field trip a lab something that elicited some emotion some sort of experience and so you know I, i'm wondering if ar and vr kind of get at that mode of functioning in the brain a little bit that we have this experience that we're more likely to retain the information from yeah, they, they they certainly do, and there is there is data there's actually data to support that. Um, you know, because I actually I researched this not just for that one email that I mentioned, but I'd researched it previously for uh, for a presentation that, that I give on on AR and VR. Uh, but what you just said triggered uh, triggered something for me. Uh, a former colleague of mine and, and a friend of mine, Jim Wells, who used to work for uh, Maine's Learning Technology Initiative. 
does a used to do a, a, a Google Earth workshop with it. We, we did a Google Earth workshop. It was mostly him, and I was kind of the wacky there for the, <laughs> for the workshop. But uh, uh, he started them out. He, he started a workshop attendees out with uh, the prompt to think of a happy place, think of a happy memory from childhood, and then we would geolocate that on, on Google Earth uh, as part of the storytelling experience because there was such a strong correlation between, uh, you know, like, like you said, that longer experience and, you know, the location of it. And that carries over now into, a, you know, a VR experience. You know, this was before VR was accessible to everybody uh, when you were using Google Earth. Uh, but you can certainly apply that now to some of the things you can do in virtual reality, particularly with Google's uh, VR Tour Creator, yeah. which is probably my favorite new thing from 2018 is Google's VR Tour Creator. Uh, now you can really build that experience, like tell the whole story of your story. Yeah. The, the whole, you know, it, as soon as they can figure out how to get smell to come through your computer, I think <laughs> that's you know, right. <laughs> once that happens, then we'll really be in business. That's right. Richard, if I'm a teacher listening right now and I really want to go find the work that you do, what's the best place for me to start doing that? Where, where would you send a teacher that, that is just hearing about Richard Byrne for the first time today? Uh, so the, the first place you should go is actually practicaledtech.com. And in the header, there's a link to my free handbook. It's 33 pages. Uh, it's a PDF you can download. Uh, it's 33 pages of my favorite EdTech tools uh, to use in 2018 and 19. You can download it. There's no strings attached. Uh, that's probably the, the best way to, to find out what I do, what I'm about. And then if you want the daily updates from me, freetechforteachers.com. That's where I'm always writing something new. I, I publish at a minimum three new things a day during the week. And on the weekends, I usually publish uh, a couple of things uh, as well. So those are the two big places to, to go. You go to uh, practicaledtech.com and get the, the free handbook and go to freetechforteachers.com to get the, the daily updates. Then you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash rmburn. I have a free tech for teachers Facebook page that has about 500,000 people who follow it. Feel free to follow that. Uh, I'm on Instagram. If you want to see pictures of my babies, I have a two-year-old and a one-year-old. Uh, so $2, two years, two years old and one years old. Uh, if you want to see pictures of my kids, go, go to Instagram. And uh, uh, otherwise go to YouTube, follow me on Strava. If you're a biker or, a, or you know, if you're a cyclist or a runner, follow me on Strava. Um, that, that about covers it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll we'll be sure to have all of that in our in our show notes for uh, for folks to go to. But I, I just want to say thank you for the work that you do. It's a great resource. I highly encourage everybody to check it out. And if they don't already know, you're also going to be at McCall, and many of our listeners are probably going to attend that conference as well, and they can come sit in on uh, one of your many sessions there. Yeah, yeah, please, please do come, come say hello. Uh, I think I'm doing six different sessions at McCall. Uh, I know I'm doing one about AR and VR, which we just talked talked about quite a bit. Uh, I'm doing something about formative assessment, which is for me the most fun one to do. It has the most audience interaction. It's the one about formative 
formative assessment. Excellent. Well, I, I again, I encourage everybody listening out there to, if you're going to go to McCall, definitely check out one of Richard's sessions. And, and if not, check out the many resources that he provides daily and weekly. So, I mean, the content that you're producing, the frequency of which is just amazing, Richard. So keep it up. Thanks, and thanks for your time today on, on the podcast. My pleasure. That was my conversation with Richard Byrne. So I'm back here with Zach. And Zach, what'd you think? Well, I think the clear draw for me from from Richard Byrne's work, Pete, is that he mentioned practical and you talked about it in your conversation as well as you can just see it on, you know, even the na- the names of some of his uh, websites and such. So practical is the word. And I appreciate that because as a teacher in a classroom, you want something that makes sense when you're looking at it, that you can implement. Um, There's not a lot of hidden stuff there. And if there is, he's explained it. Um, but that being the case, because he does this for a living, and he even said that, you know, never thought he would be a full-time, and it, and he does. He does it for a living. So because of that, you know what you're going to get from his resources, and you know when you're going to get it, and that consistency, that reliability, that's great. When you're looking for something to be there when you need it, you know, in the ed tech world, these things are coming and going so quickly. So can definitely appreciate that about his work. Very unique, isn't it, Zach, that Someone like Richard's been at it for 12 years. I mean, we're talking about going back before the iPhone was around to contextualize that for folks. And he's been at it that long. And so that reliability and consistency has, has been there and will you know, continue to be there. Yeah. And in the, in the world of technology, as I was saying, but certainly in this instance, you know that's been the case with his work and you you want that because the technology is changing too quickly to always understand and keep up with everything so we can we can trust that his resources will help well as always for more resources services and other opportunities to connect with our team please visit cbdconsulting.com/elevateedu Thanks again for listening. If you haven't yet deduced, at CBD, we believe the best kind of professional growth comes from conversations with other professionals. So we have devoted ourselves to ensuring any educator anywhere can have that opportunity. Our virtual coaching service guarantees that. Check us out on cbdconsulting.com slash elevate edu. You can share thoughts with just an email or quick text or dive right into a conversation by phone or video chat. We look forward to hearing from you.